0: Good evening. As we uh, recall from last week, we finished off our um, study on salt and light on biblical metaphors. Um, it's crazy that it took a quarter. We're already a quarter there. Um, so this, this next, um, the one that we're going to do, I'm pretty excited about it. I was uh, looking at it this afternoon. Um, We have two different ones to finish out this year's. Um, This is kind of one I was leaning towards. It'll be a little bit different. I will go ahead and tell you that. Um, I will tell you that it looks, I think it will be very interesting to um, especially help keep our attention, unless I ruin it. Um, It'll be a little bit different in the sense of the way the lessons are structured, the lessons vary in length amount. Like there's one that's like seven pages, which would be very quick. There's other ones that are like 23. So they do vary in length. There's definitely a lot of um, personal stories in here from the author, which is pretty interesting. That definitely goes right into the, um, leads to the lesson, a lot of personal stories and illustrations um, and lessons. Um, I definitely think it's very pertinent. It's really interesting Um, because this, what we'll be looking at, I guess I should tell you what it is, is what's on your mind. It's a, about discovering the power of biblical thinking, focusing on what's in your mind and getting your mind right. Because what's in your mind is how you act. So it's a, um, a, a study we'll look at on how to... I'll just read the back here. Because um, our thoughts are the blueprints for our actions. And it says, the brain is still much of a mystery to modern science and medicine. Even so, controlling and directing our thoughts is still a mystery to many Christians. God desires to change our thinking as well as our behavior. For our living is always a product of our thinking. Um, this book is about letting the mind of the master become the master of your mind. It's about waging the war for your thoughts with more than human willpower. It's about true biblical life change. Um, So the author of this book is uh, Dr. John Getch and it talks about how he um, studies the power of the mind as outlined in Scripture, which we'll be looking through in our study. It talks about applying God's truth to the battle that each and every one of us fight every day, and that's the battle for our mind. Um, And if you're ready to change your mind, well, if you're ready to change your life, then you must change your mind. And if you're ready to change your mind, then let's read with an open heart. So what I want to do is I want to just kind of read the introduction and then there's, um, it's kind of divided into a couple different sections, a couple different parts and there's kind of like a little, like an interlude kind of blurb in between each section. So we're actually gonna do the the introduction and then kind of the intro kind of the part one. So the, um, let me go, I can go ahead and read some, what some of the, uh, the titles of some of the lessons. Actually, part one is called Brainwash Christianity. Interesting to think about. Um, part two is Who Left the Brain Door Open? Part three is Mind Control. That's what it's about. And then actually the appendices, I think we're going to go through those two. That's kind of going to be lesson 13. Some practical things off of the putting off and the putting on, and then how to memorize scripture. Um, so, some pretty interesting, I think, very practical things that will be talked about in here. Um, so, we'll go ahead and kind of get into the. Again, they don't have a, a printout since this is kind of the introduction. Um, there will be a lot of me reading, but just try trying and to, trying to follow along. We might, maybe we'll have you turn and we'll read some of the passages in here um, as we do it. Um, it's interesting, the acknowledgements, I'll go ahead and read the acknowledgements section too. Again, this is unique in the sense of there's a lot of just good stuff here in this book. Um, again, it says, no doubt you've heard the phrase, the mind is a terrible thing to waste. Our culture loves being amused, but does very little musing. By nature, we are lazy mentally and desire that someone else does the thinking for us. Our entertainment, certainly bears witness to that fact. Um, and he talks about the author here, he says he's grateful for my parents who always challenged me to do my best in school. And for my older sister who set the a- academic bar high and our family says, while athletics took precedent over academics through my high school years, I will be forever indebted to coach David Weix who dared me to get an A from him in my first year of college Greek. He was the first teacher to ever get in my face and motivate me to study. He says, in my early days of ministry, I'm thankful for um, a pastor here who has took day, time every day to memorize scripture with him. And little did he know that the, how those seeds would be planted in his mind that would grow into such a powerful tool in his life and ministry. says says, my prayer that as you read the pages of this book, you will be challenged and changed by... 2 Corinthians 10.5, which is casting down imaginations and every high thing. It exalteth itself against against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. So let's get into the introduction here, kind of set the stage for what we'll be looking at. An empty stomach won't rest until you put something into it. Too bad that isn't true of an empty head. What were you thinking is a question often asked after some unfortunate mistake or blunder, or as many a parent has asked their child, why didn't you think? Someone has said, some people get lost in thought because it's such unfamiliar territory. All of us have had times when we've drawn a blank or had a senior moment. But most of us, (laughs) most of us probably wish we could get rid Of some thoughts. By no means are we alone in this struggle. Listen to the Apostle Paul as he transparently describes his personal struggle. And then let's turn to Romans 7. We'll read that here. Romans 7. It said it's already there's some very kind of witty little um, statements in here. Romans 7. And then we'll read verses um, 14 to 25. Again, thinking about we, what we just talked about. Romans chapter 7, if I can get there. Romans 7, and we'll read verses 14 to 25. I'll start in verse 14, then we'll just go around the room. Um, it says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that do I. If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. Now then, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in it. For I know that in me, that is, in my flesh, doeth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good that I would, I do not, but the evil which I would not, that I do. Now, if I do that I would not, there is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. I find then a law, that when I would do good, evil is present with me. Oh, sorry. You hey. your Very good. <laughs> I'll go ahead and read. It says, for I delight in the law of God after the inward man. But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind, and bringing me into the captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? They thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. And as will be pointed out in here, um, it's very interesting. how much the Bible really talks about our mind and our thinking. We don't really think about that, but as will be pointed out a lot in here, stuff, um, God actually has a lot to say about that. Dr. Dwayne Gish has stated, the human brain is the most complex arrangement of matter in the universe. Psychologists tell us the average person has about 10,000 thoughts each day. In fact, we're told that regardless of IQ, the average person has more information stored in his brain than is contained in the National Library. The human thought processes remain a, remain a mystery to science, scientists and psychologists. But one thing is sure, how you think will affect the direction of your life. Someone once said, the body manifests what the mind harbors. American writer and poet Thomas Bailey Aldrich said, a man is known by the company his mind keeps. If we're truly honest, we would admit that there are some things we don't like about ourselves, some things we would like to change. Perhaps we recognize that we're prone to be selfish, proud, or covetous. Others may feel they worry too much. Men often admit that they have a problem with their thoughts while women may concede they hold some bitterness inside. Teenagers might recognize an attitude of anger or rebellion, while older folks may tend to be critical or judgmental. No doubt we all have our besetting sins that seem to be a target for Satan's fiery dart. But what can we do about it? We often hide behind some deadly euphemism saying, it's just the way I am, or my dad was the same way, or I'm too old to change now. The truth is, our behavior will change when our thinking changes. If you're stuck in a certain behavioral pattern, you should question your thinking. The Book of Wisdom puts it plainly. Again, thinking about what this says. For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. Interesting. Think about that. For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. We must watch our thoughts, for they are our blueprints, our actions. A thought that dominates you inwardly will ultimately drive you outwardly. Certain thought patterns are often deeply ingrained, but it's never impossible through the power of God to change them. The members of the church at Corinth were saved out of some pretty wicked lifestyles, and their minds had been tainted by sin, which was now affecting their behavior as believers Paul reminds them that change is possible, but only as they would allow the power of God to change their thinking. 2 Corinthians ten three to 5 says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the obedience of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. With 10,000 thoughts whirling around our brains daily, we're going to need more than human willpower to keep them all pure and God-honoring. We need to let the mind of the master be the master of our minds. Change must always take place from the inside out. Listen to what Paul reminds the Ephesians about this work, of the Spirit of God and the inner man. Let's turn to Ephesians 3 and look at that. Ephesians 3. Ephesians 3 and then verses 16 to 20. I don't remember where we stopped. Let's start, Katie. That he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened. Strengthened with mind by his Spirit in the inner man. That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height. And to know the love of Christ, who passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now unto him that is able. Abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. I know what you're saying. Everywhere we go and everything we see in our present culture is stimulating us to think the wrong thoughts. We'll talk more about this stimuli later in this book, but for now, claim the promise of God's word, then turn over to Philippians 4 6 to 9 read from Philippians 4, 6-9 to 9, if you want to go and start in verse 6. Be careful for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known unto God. In the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, If there be any virtue, and if there be any praise, think on these things. Those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. What you notice talks about minds, your mind in there, and then think on these things. A lot of it really has to do with your thinking. Are you willing to let God control your thoughts? If he doesn't, something else will. Too many of us sit back in life and let our environment influence our thoughts. The Turks have an old proverb that reads, The devil tempts all other men, but the idle man tempts the devil. This is a very interesting story here. It says in a sermon entitled, The Guide to the Mind, Robert Achuban Jr. Gives a, gives a story entitled, The Stranger a few months before I was born my dad met a stranger who is new to our small Tennessee town. From the beginning dad was fascinated with this enchanting newcomer and soon invited him to live with her family. The stranger was quickly accepted and was around to welcome me into the world a few months later. As I grew up I never questioned his place in our family. In my young mind each member had a special niche. My brother Bill, five years my senior, was my example Fran, my younger sister, gave me an opportunity to play Big Brother and develop the art of teasing. My parents were complimentary instructors. Mom taught me to love the Word of God, and Dad taught me to obey it. But the stranger was our storyteller. He could weave the most fascinating tales. Adventures, mysteries, and comedies were daily conversations. He could hold our whole family spellbound for hours each evening. If I wanted to know about politics, history, or science, he knew it all. He knew about the past, understood the present and seemingly could predict the future. The pictures he could draw were so lifelike that I'd often laugh or cry as I watched. He was like a friend to the whole family. He took dad, Bill and me to our first major league baseball game. He was always encouraging us to see the movies and even made arrangements to introduce us to several movie stars. My brother and I were deeply impressed by John Wayne in particular. The stranger was an incessant talker. Dad didn't seem to mind, but sometimes mom would quietly get up while the rest of us were enthralled with one of his stories of faraway places, go to her room, read her Bible, and pray. I wonder now if she ever prayed that the stranger would leave. You see, my dad ruled our household with certain moral convictions. But this stranger never felt obligated to honor them. Profanity, for example, was not allowed in our house, not from us, our friends, our adult, or adults. Our longtime visitor, however, used occasional four-letter words that burned my ears and made Dad squirm. To my knowledge, the stranger was never confronted. My dad was a teetotaler who didn't permit alcohol in his home, not even for cooking but the stranger felt like we needed exposure and enlightened us to other ways of life. He offered us beer and other alcoholic beverages often. He made cigarettes look tasty, cigars manly, and pipes distinguished. He talked freely, probably too freely, about sex. His comments were sometimes blatant, sometimes suggestive, and generally embarrassing. I know now that my early concepts of the man-woman relationship were influenced by the stranger. As I look back, I believe it was the grace of God that the stranger did not influence us more. Time after time, he opposed the values of my parents, yet he was seldom rebuked and never asked to leave. More than 30 years have passed since the stranger moved in with the young family on Morningside Drive. He's not nearly so intriguing to my dad as he was in those early years, but if I were to walk into my parents' den today, you would still see him sitting over in the corner, waiting for someone to listen to him talk and watch him draw his pictures. His name, we call him TV. So what's on your mind? If the thoughts of your heart became a reality in your actions, what kind of a person would you be? God's word tells us that we're headed in the direction of our thoughts. Your desires will become your destination. God's will for every Christian is that we be Christ-like so the lost and dying world around us can see God in us. Go ahead and turn to 1 Peter 2. 1 Peter 2. 1 Peter 2, 9 through twelve. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and a holy nation, who kill your people, that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Dearly <coughs> beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from far was, which war against the soul. Having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the 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 day of visitation. If the unsaved person could see what's on your mind right now, would they be led toward Christ? That's a pretty scary thought, isn't it? But the truth is, whatever is on your mind will soon become your manner. And while the world can't read your mind, they can read your manners. This is uh, 2 Corinthians 3, 2-3. It says, Ye are our epistle written in our hearts, known and read of all men. Forasmuch as ye are manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not in tables of stone, but in fleshy tables of the heart. God desires that our entire lives be wholly surrendered to his control. We can't do that on our own, but there is a first step that we all must take. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good an acceptable and perfect will of God. Erwin Lutzer states, the difference between worldliness and godliness is a renewed mind. So are you ready to change your mind? Let's get started. That's the introduction to the book. And then this is the introduction to part one, which we'll look at. And part one is called Brainwashed Christianity. Has anyone ever said to you, a penny for your thoughts? There are times in life when it would be interesting to be a mind reader, God, however, never has to wonder what's on your mind. He already knows. I'm sure Noah and his family were aware of how wicked their culture had become. Just a few generations after the fall, society had sunk to the depths of depravity. Looking past the outer manifestations of sin, God's laser-like eyes could see right to the source of the problem. Genesis 6-5, and God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart were only evil continually. The actions of man were merely a result of his thoughts. David understood that God knows our thoughts. He gives good counsel to his son. And thou, Solomon, my son, know thou the God of thy father and serve him with a perfect heart and a willing mind. For the Lord searcheth all hearts and understandeth all the imaginations of the heart, of the thoughts. First Chronicles 28, 9. We think we can conceal our thoughts, and we are pretty good at masking them. But the prophet of old cut right through that facade. This is Ezekiel eleven five. For I know the things that come into your mind, every one of them. It's kind of scary we ne- we have never had a thought a desire a motive an attitude a whim or a dream that god didn't clearly know as normal human beings we enjoy things that are clean clean hands clean silverware clean clothes a clean car we build our houses with sinks and showers we install dishwashers and washing machines Frequent trips to the car wash are essential to taking care of your vehicles. You feel better after a shower and enjoy putting on clean clothes. No one wants to eat with a dirty fork or drive a car and it's filthy. So why do we put up with a polluted mind? Why do we go day after day, week after week, year after year with layers of filth covering our minds? Do you need to be brainwashed? We hear a lot about water pollution, air pollution, noise pollution, and site pollution. We're worried about the ozone layer of the Earth's atmosphere being destroyed because of all the harmful chemicals that are coming from our houses and automobiles. But it's time we get concerned about mine pollution. Long before there were environmentalists and ecologists demanding to be heard, Micah the prophet was sounding an alarm. Arise ye and depart, for this is not your rest, because it is polluted. It shall destroy you even with a sore destruction. That's Micah 2.10. Indeed, filthy brains lead to faulty behavior. If we don't get to the brainwash today, we will wake up from a behavior wreck tomorrow. This cleansing that is so needed today starts with salvation. Try as though we may with our own efforts, we would never cleanse ourselves from our sin nature. We are all as an unclean thing, And all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags, and we all do fade as a leaf. And our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. That's Isaiah 64, 6. A thousand moral deeds and a million religious rituals can never wash away the sin in our hearts. Initial cleansing from sin can only come through the person who declares, Come now, and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. The blood of Jesus Christ that was shed on Calvary's cross is the only cleansing agent for sin. How much more shall the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. The Christians at Corinth knew all about the truth of William Cowper's hymn long before it was penned. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. This is 1 Corinthians 6, 9 to 11. It says, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners, shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. If you've never experienced the joy of having your sin forgiven, call upon Christ today. His blood is the power to cleanse you of your sinful past and give you eternal life. Heaven. As children of God, we are not exempt from allowing the filth of sin to stain our lives. Positionally, we've been cleansed by the blood of Christ and are before God justified from our sin. But practically, we're still battle on a daily basis the pollutions of this old world. King David had succumbed to the temptation of sin. Lustful thoughts led to adultery, deception, and even murder. This is a sad state of affairs for a man after God's own heart. David knew where to go for cleansing. He cries from the depth of his soul, "'Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, "'according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, "'blot out my transgression. "'Wash me throughly for mine iniquity.'" and cleanse me from my sin. That's Psalm 51, 1 and 2. Is it time for a brainwash? Is God inviting you to cleanse your mind as he did the city of Jerusalem? Jeremiah four fourteen says, O Jerusalem, wash thine heart from wickedness, that thou mayest be saved. How long shall thy vain thoughts lodge within thee? How much longer will you go with your mind filled with empty and wicked thoughts. Remember, if God isn't in control of your mind, you will soon lose control of your manners. In the latter half of Acts 17, we find the Apostle Paul making his way to a place called Mars Hill. As he arrives, he observes these intellectual people steeped in pagan pluralism. They had altars for every kind of God you could think of. They had even erected one to the unknown God. It appears that their intellectualism had caused them to stop thinking. It reminds me of the dad who bought a bicycle for his son. After opening the box and looking at the large booklet of instructions on how to assemble the bike, he was totally confused. For the life of him, he couldn't follow the step-by-step instructions outlined in the manual. Finally, he sought the help of an old handyman who lived next door. The old fellow picked up the pieces, studied them, and then began assembling the bicycle. In a short time he had it put together. That's amazing, said the dad, and you did it without even looking at the instructions. Fact is, said the old man, I can't read. And when a fellow can't read, he's got to think. A lot of people today are professing themselves to be wise, and they've become fools. ROMANS 122 Paul challenges these intellectuals on Mars Hill to start thinking correctly. The brainwashed person will come to four realizations, and then that's lessons one, two, three, and four, which that's the realization of a created mind. Lesson two is the realization of a changed mind. Lesson three is the realization of a conscientious mind. And number four is the realization of a captured mind. So again, um, we'll pick up with, with lesson number one, chapter one, um, tomorrow. But um, hopefully you can see, it is it is really interesting when we sit down and really pay attention to it, of how much God has to say about our mind and our thinking and our thoughts. Remember that verse in Proverbs, for as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. Um, so i said say that's definitely something that kind of stood out to me already, just kind of in looking at it, is how much God puts an emphasis on that. How it's so easy to kind of just not think. Do not muse about that. But and any other thoughts on anything so far? Kinda hits a little home on some things so far. But um Any thoughts from anybody? No, we didn't have questions or anything per se, but It's a uh, a lot to think about. I can make all kinds of puns and jokes about this now, on that. But ten thousand thoughts a day. That's a lot to think about. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, we thank you for um, thank you for the lesson and and the study that we're about to about to embark on. And, and how much of it is focused on, on our mind? And really, when we think about it, how much you have to say about our mind and our thoughts. And again, here, controlling our thoughts, which kind of yes and kind of no, because again, 10,000 thoughts a day, we can't humanly keep track of that. But again, it's having your mind Letting the mind of the master be the master of our minds. And as we go on the study, I, I pray that it would it would bring change into all of us in areas that we needed it, which is um, maybe some common ones, but then probably some different ones for, for each and every one of us. And just as your principles from your word are brought out, that it would, um, again, you you'd point things out to us that we need to change and to, to change our thoughts to change our thinking, which then manifests itself in our actions. And I pray that you give us safety and bring us uh, back home together, uh, back to our homes, and then bring us back together again on Wednesday. In Jesus' name, amen.